Hi, John Kavakas. I just want to thank you for spending some time with us. We would love to hear from you. There'll be contact information right after the sermon. Today's sermon is Three Steps to Eternity out of Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. This is part of our ongoing series in Luke called God's Love for All People. Let's join the service now in progress. Today's sermon speaks of Jesus' return, and our reading today is from Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 through 16. Please stay standing, if you can, for the reading of the word. And the manner in which Jesus returns may surprise some of us. Here's how Revelation describes it. Revelation 19 again, verses 9 through 16. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. For now, I'd like you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. I tell you something, we are blazing through Luke. We're already at chapter 12, and we've only had 37 installments so far. So while you're finding that, I want to tell you about a friend I had. I used to work for Roy Rogers Old Fashioned Hamburgers. Anybody ever had one of their double bar bar burgers? Yep. And uh, when we first came to town, Kelly and I had just gotten married. Um, I had just gotten saved. I was working with a manager that was training me down in Crystal City. His name was Brian. And of course, being excited about, about knowing the Lord and everything, I was sharing it with everybody who would listen. And I sat down with Brian, and I, I shared the gospel with him. And I could see the wheels turning in the back of his mind. I could see that he was very carefully considering what I was saying. So when, when I was done, I said, Brian, you can, you can have this right now. 
I can pray with you right now to forgiveness for sins, uh, to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What do you say? And he said, John, I've got some things in my life I've got to clear up first. And so I knew enough about the gospel to say, well, wait a minute, you don't have to do that. God doesn't ask you to clean things up. He just asks you to come to him. So can we do this? He said, no, it can wait. Oh, don't wait. Don't wait, Brian, because I just heard this, this sermon on TV about you could get hit by a bus any minute now. And he said, I think I'll be okay. Well, the truth for today is don't wait. Don't wait. Why would we wait? The last time we got together, we talked about don't get distracted. Jesus could come back at any moment, uh, and, and it is an imminent return is, is upon us. And what he's bringing is judgment on those who reject him. Now, we don't like to talk a lot about judgment today, but it's there in the Bible. He's bringing fire. He's bringing destruction. And the only way to escape that judgment, that fire and destruction, is in Jesus Christ. And those of us who believe in him should be living in a constant state of expectation of his return. So today we find out how close that return is, how close that moment is that would cause us all to step into eternity. So our sermon today is is three steps to eternity. And here are those three steps. Step number one is draw the line. Now, I'll explain what that means just a little bit, but that'll be in verses 49 through 53. Step number two is see the signs. And that's 54 through 56. And step number three is get aligned. You like that? Yeah, that, that's the rest of the sermon, the, the passage, 57 through 59. So let's take, let's take a look at step number one, which is draw the line. And in verse 49, Jesus says, I came. Now, I just want to pause right there, because Jesus is about to give us his mission statement, why he came. And there are a lot of popular depictions of Jesus that have a lot to do with what we think about why he came. And, you know, every generation kind of wants to make Jesus his own. So we see pictures of the blue-eyed Jesus. He's handsome. Uh, He's got vaguely millennial look to him. Uh, he's, he's not just handsome, he looks knowledgeable, uh, he just looks like just a really good guy. And more recently, it's become popular to propose Jesus is a dark-skinned Jesus, uh, and he's just as handsome, just as dynamic, and the truth of the matter is that every generation wants to mold Jesus into their own image. It's been said that 6,000 years ago, God created man in his image, and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. So we do this. And it's okay. It's okay to imagine Jesus like you, or maybe like the culture. The fact of the matter is that Jesus identifies with us. But we usually want him to be not just like us, but we want him to be kind and gentle, and loving, and caring. He's got the little lamby in his hands, and, and, and all that is true. Jesus is all those things, but he's also much more. So I want to take a look at what Jesus might have looked like to the people in the first century. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus was Jewish. 
Now, there's a lot of, I, I read a long article this week about uh, Jesus was Jewish, so he was dark-skinned. If you've ever been to Israel and seen the Jewish people, I'm not allowed to say this, but Jesus was Caucasian. Oh, what a terrible thing to say. He was Jewish. He was Jewish. And that doesn't make Caucasian any more special than any other, but we need to think realistically about this. So he looked a little bit like this, and that doesn't fit the norm. It doesn't fit the popular conceptions about him. But more importantly, it doesn't fit what he came to do. So he was a man of constant sorrows. He was a man that people rejected. He didn't look good the way we think of contemporarily looking good. And he didn't come to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men, at least not the way that we understand that. So going back to our our thing, Jesus says he came. Watch this. He came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Now, that's kind of awkward phrasing. It's a really accurate translation of what this is. But uh, I like the uh, Christian Standard Bible, which says, I came to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. So he set some tension there right away. I wish this was over. If I had my preference, this would all be done. He's bringing fire. Now, fire in the Testament is a sign of judgment, but it can also be a sign of purification. So we kind of see this in the book of Matthew, uh, in one of the most widely misunderstood uh, verses in the entire Bible. Matthew 3, 11 and 12, this is John the Baptist speaking. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, for the first half of my Christian life, I was told that he was going to baptize me in the Holy Spirit and in power. And I wanted that power. And that sounds kind of seductive. He's going to give me the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be miracles and signs and wonders and everything, and then he's going to give me power. But you don't have to go any further than the next verse in Matthew to understand that's not what he's talking about here. The next verse says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's two ways to interpret this, and both of those are popular with our Bible commentators. One of them is that the chaff that he's going to burn is the chaff that is in the church, and he will purify the church. The other interpretation is that there are two types that he's coming for, those who have the Spirit, those who have been saved, and those who are going to burn. And now here's another subject that we're not supposed to talk a lot about today. Burning in hell for your sins. I think that's what this verse is about. Either way we interpret this, whether he's going to purify the church or he's going to bring those who reject him in the judgment, his return is not going to be easy. Nothing about our relationship with Jesus Christ is easy if we think about it. We have to strive to be like him. Our relationship with him is born in suffering and pain and torture. So Jesus 
is about to give his disciples a preview of what's coming. He says, I come to bring fire. And then in verse 50, he says, but there's a little word in there, a duh, uh, which means but. Uh, It doesn't translate real well. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's saying, I am going to be totally immersed in what is coming along. And he said, he's saying, I have a baptism that has to be endured before all this happens. Now Mark chapter 10 talks about this baptism. James and John go to Jesus and say, hey, have you ever read that passage where the first thing they say is, look, whatever we're going to ask you, don't say no. It's like little kids going to their mother, Mom, I want to, don't, please don't say no, but I want to go next door and play with Bobby. Don't say no. They do that. Don't say no. Grant us that we would sit on your left hand and your right hand. And so Jesus responds with this. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Jesus is not looking forward to this baptism that he's talking about back in Luke. Matter of fact, he says in 50, Luke 12, 50, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now what we see here, and John Sellers just spoke about this, is Jesus' desire as a man. He was fully man and fully God. That'll be for another sermon. We'll talk about that sometime. But here's his desire as a man. He says, I'm not looking forward to this. I'd rather not go through this. We see that again in the garden. And, and Jesus does this because he knows that you and I are going to face situations that we don't want to face. And what he's saying in all of this is, I understand. I get it. I relate to where you are. But ultimately, I put my faith in the Father, not in my feelings. So this is just a little mini lesson that we get right there. But then he says this in, in verse 51. And he kind of dashes all of these contemporary uh, perspectives that we have on Jesus about him being gentle and kind and so on and so forth. Again, he is those things. But listen to what he says in 51. Do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Now, this is an odd-sounding lesson, isn't it? For from now on, verse 52, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You see... We tend to see Jesus on that donkey, riding into Jerusalem. The crowd's going nuts. The children love him. People are laying palm fronds. They're singing about him and everything. And he's gentle and kind and sitting on a donkey. It's okay. Because he did that. And he is gentle and kind. And he is sitting on a donkey. But he's coming back. He was crucified, dead, and buried, raised to be with the Father, and he's coming back. And when he returns, he's going to be on a white horse. And he's not going to look so kind and gentle because he's coming to take those who have decided for him. 
And they will be divided. Before he gets here, some will come to realize who he is. They'll confess their sins. They will repent. They will see him as Lord, but some will not. And maybe there'll be some of both types in in families and in homes. So Jesus creates a line. He says, you're going to be on one side of this line, or you're going to be on the other side of this line. And the side that's on this line will be with me. The side that's on the other line is going to experience this destruction and this fire. And we're going to have to decide where we stand. When he comes on that white horse, we will have to decide before he gets here whether or not we are behind that horse or in front of it. And it's going to come bearing down on all those who have rejected him. And, and our decision will determine where we will spend eternity. Eternity. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't I get some kind of warning? Don't I have some time to think about it, Brian? Can't this wait? Jesus says the time may be closer than you think. That we should take step number two and see the signs. The first step was draw the line, decide which side you're going to be on. The second one is see the signs. Verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, now this is kind of, they they would get this right away because weather, wet weather in, in Israel comes off the Mediterranean. And the Mediterranean is on the western shore of Israel. So when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. Now, again, his listeners would understand this completely. Any wind that came from the south had to move over the desert between Israel and Egypt and then cross over the Negev, uh, which was a very arid region. By the time it got to the central part of Israel, it was dry and scorching. It would wilt plants. So the message is clear. Because both of those incidences we saw from the prophets. We saw the weather in 1 Kings, uh, where uh, Elijah and his servant uh, Ahab are up on Mount Carmel. Uh, God has just destroyed the prophets of Baal, and there's been a drought upon the land, and Elijah says, go, go look towards, towards the sea, and Ahab sees a little cloud coming. So it was a prophecy that God would bring rain and take care of his people. And we see the same thing in Isaiah on the, on the south wind. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's got a message. He's saying, you remember your prophets? You remember those stories they told about rain and, and wind and that sort of thing? Well, those, those weren't just cute stories. They were examples of how God takes care of his people. Sometimes he brings rain, sometimes he brings a hot wind. And so the prophets that you're so familiar with We're giving you mere shadows, portents of what I'm about to do. So he taps into the heritage and the history of the Jewish people. And he says, look around you. You can tell the the weather in the physical world, but can you see what's happening spiritually? 
Can you see what's coming? Look around you. What are the signs that you're seeing? And they have seen signs, haven't they? I mean, half the book has been about signs and wonders. Verse 56, Jesus says, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky? Then why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And Jesus rails on the Pharisees and those people in the crowd that reject him. He says to the Pharisees, you're supposed to be experts. You're supposed to know all this. You call yourselves experts. You can read the signs about the weather, but you fail to read the signs about God. They failed to see all the signs and wonders that Jesus did as a portent of who he was. They watched him. They watched him teach with amazing authority. They saw him heal people. They saw him raise people from the dead. They watched him obey the law perfectly, yet they're failing to react to his presence and to his ministry. They're failing to respond to his call. As a matter of fact, they're running the other way. They're rejecting him. These people see all these signs, and they can't tell that a spiritual storm is coming. And Jesus is warning them to look around. I'm here today to tell you that we would do well to heed that warning. And see the signs around us. I believe with all my heart there is a spiritual storm coming. And that we will have the opportunity to respond scripturally. That's where these people in the first century fell down. They responded based on their feelings. What they thought was right. We may have coming down the pike for us as a church, as the evangelical church in the United States and the world, the greatest opportunity to share the gospel that has ever occurred. And we need to see the signs and be prepared. Well, if that's step two, see the signs, and if a storm is coming, what should we do? Well, we need to take step three, which is get aligned. Verse 57, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Now, Jesus calls for some serious self-examination. He's got everybody's attention. He's saying, I'm coming back. It's not going to be what you think it is. This is going to be hard. It's going to be eternally hard on some people. And so he's got their attention. He's got their undivided focus. And if I were to paraphrase this verse, I would say, Jesus is saying, why, why don't you think about this for a moment and tell me what seems right to you uh, after you've been interpreting everything else that seems right to you. And he says this because he's just made this accusation. He's just kind of lashed out at the Pharisees and the people who are rejecting him. He told them that, that they were hypocrites, that they were living a false life. He told them that they were blind to what's going on. They didn't see any of the signs. And all this is couched in the truth that Jesus is coming back. And by then, if those people aren't squared away, they're going to be eternally doomed. And he illustrates this with a very short parable. Starting in verse 58. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, 
Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. Now, the language he uses here is language that would have been familiar to the Jews as being in a civil court. This is a financial matter that is, is being observed by the court. And, and that, that type of court back then was devoted to financial disputes. And the main idea that Jesus is saying is, if you owe somebody a debt, settle up on it before you get dragged before the judge and your guilt is exposed to everybody. Take care of this before you stand in court, before you stand with the judge. Worse yet, worse yet, if you go before the judge and you're found guilty, you get thrown in prison. Notice they don't talk about how big the debt is. Notice there's no mention about how much they owe or who they owe it to. It's just that they owe a debt. And that if they're found guilty, they're going to get thrown in prison. Well, for how long? What if that's only a dollar? What if it's a thousand dollars? What if it's a million dollars? How long are we in prison? Well, we don't have to wait too long because Jesus tells us in verse 59, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So you stay in prison until the debt's paid. Think about this for a second. How do you pay the debt? You can't. You're in prison. You don't earn money in prison in the first century Palestine. Maybe, maybe the family can scrape something together. (laughs) That wasn't usually the case. And that's not what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say once you go to prison for this debt, you're never going to get out. Jesus wants these folks to see that once that judgment is passed, that it's final. It's forever. Not until you die. But beyond that, it's for all eternity. And the illusion that he's making is the debt that every created being owes to their Father in heaven, owes to our one true God, who gave up his only Son for them, that they might have eternal life. Jesus says, settle that debt before you stand before the judge, before you stand before God, because by then it's too late. Look at other scripture, you find out that if, if, if that debt isn't settled by the time you stand before God, you will be cast into the lake of fire. I don't know what the lake of fire is, but I do know this it burns. And it burns forever. And you don't get consumed by the fire, you exist in it forever. Wow. So much for Jesus and the little lammies. There's our three steps. Step one, draw the line. Understand where you are in relation to Jesus Christ. Step two, see the signs. Look around you. See the judgment is coming. Step three, get a line. Confess your sins. Get right with Christ before it's too late. Don't wait. I lost touch with Brian. Life happened. Several years after, after all that and we had moved on, I got a call from a friend that said, did you hear about Brian? I said, no, I haven't heard anything from Brian. He said, he was killed in a drive-by shooting last night. I don't know 
I don't know if Brian ever responded to that call. But I do know that Jesus doesn't want any of us to wait. That he receives us as we are. And that he would have us know that he entered Jerusalem on this donkey, not bringing peace, not to the whole world. Oh, wait a minute, John. The angel said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Yes, peace on earth between God and man, not between man and man. And the only way to achieve peace with God is to acknowledge his son as a personal savior. Peace on earth through the baby born in Bethlehem. He offers that peace to everyone. But in order to lay hold of that, you have to confess your sins and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. It's that easy. And he's coming back this time on the white horse, bearing down on all those who waited. And now for them, it's too late. And the only question remains is what side of the horse you stand on. People crowding around Jesus didn't get it. Do you? Do you get it? But, but wait, some will say, wait a minute. Those people back then saw the signs and wonders. I need to see them for myself. I need some proof. You know, if, if that's you, if you feel that way, you're not alone. There was a guy in the New Testament called Thomas. When he heard about the resurrection, he struggled. He said, I'll believe, I'll believe he's alive if I can put my hands in his wounds, see him physically. Now, Jesus wasn't around when Thomas said that, but a couple days later, they were all gathered in a place, and we see this in John 20, eight days later, John 20, 26. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, remember he wasn't around when Thomas said that, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? He said, yeah, yeah, you believe because you've seen me. But then he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Feel like you need proof? Jesus said, blessed are those that don't ask for proof, that don't see. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ have an advantage over Thomas. We see the whole story. We read about the signs and wonders. We read about the anger and the self-righteousness of the crowd that rejects him, ultimately leads to kill him. We read about his torture and his suffering and his pain. We read about his mercy and his forgiveness from the cross and the promise of paradise to those who believe. Then we read about his resurrection. He walks out of the tomb and proves that everything that he said, everything that he promised, all the prophecies, they're true, including the one that says that he will come back. So if you join us today and you're not a believer, how do you get right with Christ? Repent. Ask for forgiveness forgiveness of your sins. Call upon Him to be your Lord and your Father and your Savior. What does it mean to us as believers? 
I don't know if my friend Brian ever came to the Lord, I told you. But I can rest easy knowing that I did everything I could to share the truth with him. And the rest was up to him and the Holy Spirit and our Father in heaven. I hope, Brian, brother, I hope that when I get to heaven, I'll see you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what did you do to earn the cross? What evil did you commit that brought false accusation upon you? What was your crime, Jesus? Who did you wrong uh, to be scourged, then beaten, and crowned with thorns, and reviled and spit upon? Oh, Lord, did, did you deserve to have your garments divided up? Did you deserve to be nailed to a cross and crucified among thieves? Did you earn God's wrath being poured out upon you until you cried out as if you had been forsaken? Did you earn having your innocent heart pierced with a harsh spear and your innocent blood spilled before your mother's eyes? Oh Lord, we can find no offense in you. Pilate couldn't, neither can we. Centurion who executed you confessed you to be the very Son of God. The thief that hung with you said you'd done nothing wrong. So what caused this shameful, torturous disgrace? What caused this suffering and death to come upon you? Lord, it was me. It was me. My sin brought about your shame. My failings brought about your injuries. I committed the fault. And you are charged with and carry the offense. I am guilty and you are sentenced. I sinned and you suffered. You hung on a cross for me. Oh, what is the depth of God's love? What is the magnitude of his sacrifice? The wonder of his grace. What of his mercy without measure? What can I say? I was proud. You were humble. I was disobedient. You became obedient. I ate the forbidden fruit. You hung on the cursed tree. Oh Lord, let me never forget your infinite love. Let me ever bow down before you in gratitude for what you did for me. How can I repay? How can I honor you? The word says I am washed clean by your blood. I'm restored to a right relationship with you, not by anything I do, but what you did for me. Help me, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've placed upon me. Make me a witness and a testimony to the love and grace of the Father. I would pray that blessing on all who are gathered here and all who are listening. And we say this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The name above all names.
Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in. May God bless you until we see you again next week. Pastor John here again to tell you that we really appreciate your spending some time with us. Love to hear from you. You can email me personally with your prayer requests or comments at kavakas, K-U-V-A-K-A-S, at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube at WBFVA. We're also on Facebook at Warrington Bible Fellowship. And we have a worldwide web site as well, WBFVA.org. I hope today blessed you. I hope you have a blessed week. God bless you. We hope to see you again.